Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. So good morning. Part of our, our job on the missions committee is that we have assigned missionaries that we uh, check in on regularly, walk through life with, and, and go through the struggles. And so it's my privilege to be able to introduce DACA, who I've gotten to know. And he's a humble man. He will not tell you these things, but um, that's why he's here. So I want you to make a connection because one of the things that comes across my mind is, is, is you know, we watch CNN Fox News, whatever your thing is, and we hear about these events, and, and they're, they're events that happen across the world, but they have a human cost, and they have a cost for us as Christians. And so one of the reasons we felt it was important that DACA be here is that, because he deals with international students, and he is a uh, Muslim background believer himself, and so when, the, you know, the, the unrest that we saw in the news in Kazakhstan happened, well, that's where he's from, and that's where he lost connection with his family and, you know, struggled through those times just because of what was going on in the world. And when we withdrew from Afghanistan in August, well, there was, there was one of his men that he discipled was stuck in there in, as a Christian in uh, Afghanistan as it went back to being uh, Taliban controlled. And so again, those are, those are real life struggles that, that we see on TV and that we tend to gloss over. And so really want to make a connection to us as, as, as the body of believers of what that cost is for Christians across the world. And so without any further ado, I want Dr. to come up. Well, thank you, Randall. And uh, it, is, it is a privilege and it is an honor. Um, and, uh, you know, whether we're reaching out to the people here or reaching out to people out there in the countries like Afghanistan or Pakistan or Saudi Arabia, you know, God is at work. And, and it's one thing, it's, you know, it's interesting when we're hearing these missionaries, uh, you know, his kingdom is advancing. And we are all part of that. You know, being a Muslim myself, I never thought I would be a a follower of Christ and his ambassador. And looking back now, it's, and it brings me joy that God is working, not just in Kazakhstan, he's working around the world. So anyway, uh, well, we thank you again for inviting us. Uh, I wanted to share my story and the stories of a few of my student friends. And, and ultimately, my goal is to not to make me as a hero, but God as a hero, because that's his story. And uh, you know, him rescuing me and opening eyes, my eyes to see the truth. So. A uh, little bit of, uh, I, pre I prepared a, a slideshow so you can visually see it. Uh, this is, uh, if it works. <laughs> okay, yeah, this is my family. Uh, my beautiful wife, Heather, we've been married for over 10 years. She is a Texan. Um, so uh, I married a foreigner. So, uh, <laughs> and I have two children, uh, David and Anne, um, five and three years old. So a big blessing and, and joy from the Lord. As Randall said, uh, next slide, please. I come from Kazakhstan. So, you know, when I meet people and tell them I'm from Kazakhstan, uh, they uh, think about the first question. In the past, they would ask me, do you know Borat? But they stopped asking those questions. Uh, they ask you, where, where is that? So I have to bring a map. 
So, uh, you know, Kazakhstan is in Central Asia, pretty big country. It's the ninth largest country in the world land-wise. We're sandwiched between Russia and China. And uh, as a joke, my missionary friend, who was from California, living in Kazakhstan, so he would tell people, you know, where he lives, and they say, Kazakhstan, and they're just like, where is that? So he says, well, it's next to Kyrgyzstan. And they're like, where is that? <laughs> well, it's next to Uzbekistan. So they get really frustrated. Where is that? <laughs> it's next to Tajikistan. You know, they're getting really furious. Well, it's next to Afghanistan. I was like, oh, it must be dangerous there. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it is pretty safe country. You know, we, what we happened in January is a really sad moment. And, and, and the reality is that no matter where we live, you know, we're not safe. But we're safe because we're in the kingdom of God. And I think that's the, that's the truth. So... Uh, Actually, next slide is I wanted to show you Kazakhstan. If you look, take a continental U.S., we're a pretty big country. So, uh, and most of it is actually uh, the, the landscape is like West Texas. So uh, when I drive from Houston to El Paso, I was like, welcome home. <laughs> so it's just like very similar, you know, you know, you know, we say that our, our treasure is not on the surface, our treasure is under the surface. Uh, we're, you know, we're pretty blessed to have a lot of natural resources. Um, and unfortunately, you know, it's political system, it, you know, a lot of people don't get it, but that's another topic. Uh, but uh, I wanted to share a little bit of uh, my story of coming to know the Lord. Um, so next slide. So as Randall said, you know, I'm from Kazakhstan. Um, I grew up in a, in a Muslim household, and um, my parents were not necessarily devout Muslims because they lived in the Soviet time. You know, I kind of jokingly called them a communist Muslims uh, because, you know, they couldn't practice publicly. However, my grandmother was a devout Muslim, and she always had her, like, this task and idea that as the oldest son for my parents and oldest grandson that I should set an example. So from the young age, I was told that I have to be a Muslim, that I have to do the prayers, and, and even sent to a, a madrasa, which is a school where you learn Arabic so that you can recite the Quran so you can pray to God, because that's what they do, uh, you know, facing Mecca. And so, you know, with things we did, we prayed, and uh, one of the things I, you know, I mentioned that uh, Kazakhstan, you know, it's a multi-ethnic country, so we have pretty big Russian population, so you can see that people can pray, and they have a Russian Orthodox church in the behind, and it's, you know, we live pretty peacefully. Uh, another thing we did as, as a Muslim family, we would uh, annually kill a sheep uh, for Eid al-Adha, or Korban Bayram, or the Feast of Sacrifice, and you know, it's, a big, it's the biggest holiday in the Islamic world, actually. It's con compared to Christmas almost. Um, and, you know, if you look at the really, the heart of that is really goes back to Genesis 22, when Abraham and his son, and when God provided a ram for him. And that's another story. Uh, but, uh, you know, Muslims honor that. So, I, when I went to college, I, I started meeting some missionaries who were telling me about Jesus. And, of course, as a Muslim, I had a a different perspective of who Jesus was. You know, I was told he was a prophet, one of the greatest prophets, but just a prophet. In fact, in the Quran, it says that God will forgive you any sin except the sin of idolatry. And hence, when you worship Jesus from a Muslim perspective, you commit idolatry. And so, you know, I was wrestling with that. You know, will God, will God be merciful to me if I worship Jesus? Of course, I had a wrong understanding of who Jesus is. You know, Jesus was the man, uh, who God, God who became a man. 
And, uh, you know, it, again, long story short, um, in, um, in John, the Gospel of John, Jesus says in verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 3, he says, This is the eternal life that, that you may know God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The eternal life is the relationship with the living God. You know, as a Muslim, I wasn't ready to leave my religion and to join another religion. I was, I was, I was wrong. I left my religion to find a relationship with the living God. And that's the truth. You know, Christianity is that relationship with the living God who's here with us, his presence is here, and who's sending us to tell others about it. That's the basic message. So one thing, uh, you know, you know uh, coming from that background is this idea that, uh, you know, my family wasn't happy. So next slide. Um, that that I became a, a believer. So um, for a while, I was afraid. I was actually ashamed. You know, I didn't know how to face. I didn't want to rock my, the boat. Uh, when my mom finally found out that, uh, you know, that I was part of the, the group, uh, she would ask me, would I go on Sunday? So I'd tell her, you know, and uh, of course, back then I wasn't mature. I said, you know, I'd go on Sunday to practice my English with Americans. Uh, <laughs> Which was partially true because I was meeting with Alan and everything, but at the same you know, time, it was, it was an opportunity for me to, to worship God with the fellowship. Um, she, you know, she really got angry. She took my Bible and tore it up and then to leave home for a little bit. And, you know, I, I felt that, you know, I was praying price, but re- ultimately, you know, that was God who was enabled me. I couldn't do that in my own strength. And one of the things I do now so I came to U.S. in 2007 to University of Houston as an international student. Uh, I never thought I would be a missionary. <laughs> I came to America to pursue my master's degree to make money, pursue American dream. Uh, that's what I thought. <laughs> God had a different plan. You know, He called me to do mission work specifically with international students and specifically with Muslims. And I remember thinking, you know, God saved me from that background. And I would be so sad if I don't use that. If I don't share with people, with Muslims around me, about the hope of Christ. And um, so next slide is one of the things I do, do is Bridges. Um, uh, we, uh, I work with Muslim background believers. And annually we gather them for the retreat as part of the conference where we address some of these issues. Like how do you deal with your family as Muslim? How do you deal with this idea of honor and shame and being a follower of Christ? How do you... Uh, you know, share the gospel with your siblings, with your community. So some of the things that MBBs and Muslim background believers deal with, and it, it's a joy. So uh, uh, lastly, I wanted to share two stories of, uh, of, you know, dear friends. First one is Mustafa. So Mustafa was, as Rendell said, uh, so Mustafa is Afghani. He came to U.S. as an international student to Indiana University on Fulbright Scholarship. He's a doctor, MD. And he was a Muslim, and I remember meeting him as a Muslim, and I shared my testimony with him. And I didn't lead him to the Lord. There were other people, uh, you know. But long story short, Mustafa became a believer, and he went back to Afghanistan. He's from Herat, which is the western province in Afghanistan. And his heart was, I'm going to go back to Afghanistan, and through my, mission, through my medical work, I'm going to heal people, and I'm going to share the hope of Christ. Until, you know, recently when the U.S. Tr- you know, pulled out of, you know, the troops of Afghanistan and Taliban took over, 
he was in danger. He had to flee from Herat to Kabul and hide an apartment because, you know, they knew that he was a Christian. He was a part of the house church in Herat. We were connected to him through IMB missionaries. He was afraid, you know. And, but, you know, in God's providence, he's right now in the Middle East, um, you know, is waiting for the papers to come and, you know, hopefully come to the U.S. as a refugee. Um, and, you know, and I believe God will continue using him for his glory. Um, the second story is uh, um, my sister, my, I can call her my sister in Christ, Mariam. Uh, so Mariam comes from a, a small province in Pakistan. Uh, it's very conservative. Her family is very devout Muslims. I remember meeting her, and she found out through some other staff that I, I, I was a Muslim, and now I'm a believer in Christ. She wanted to hear my story. So I was like, gladly. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you want to, if you have a Muslim who wants to hear your story, you drop everything and go meet them. Uh, and so I was talking to Mariam and shared my testimony then she met some other Muslim background believers. By God's grace, in, in December, she, she decided to follow Christ. Um, and it's a joy. But, you know, the thing about Maryam is she's scared. She knows that if her family in Pakistan finds out, she might lose her life. And that's the reality. And that's the cost of following Jesus for those people. And I think I want to encourage you to... Pray for the brothers and sisters around the world who's experienced persecution. And, but pray for yourself too. Because, you know, Jesus says, you know, they'll persecute me, they'll persecute you. And Paul says in Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. That's the truth. Are we ready for that? And I think that's my encouragement and uh, my hope for you. Thank you. That is the third time I hear, and I still get goosebumps. Thank you, and and I still don't know where Kazakhstan is. <laughs> I'll figure it out. Um, our next speaker is uh, I get the honor to introduce uh, Pastor Mark Geppard. Uh, you know, I've been thinking about, I've introduced him twice. What is something that I really can say about him? And nothing but Chronicles comes to mind where the Lord says, "If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves." cry out to me, I will hear their prayers, and I will heal their land. This man has lived a life of 40 years of being a witness and a testimony of how prayer, the, the ministry of prayer, missions all over the world, has brought healing to the nations through his ministry. And he's got amazing stories, and so with that, I want to welcome Mark Geppert up to the pulpit, and brother, pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Amen. Oh, it is a joy to be in El Paso, Texas. The gateway to the new beginning. The center of the largest bilingual metroplex in the world by population. A city so significant that God has sovereignly brought you here. A city that has military bearing economic bearing and is a gateway a gateway for you who are fluent bilingual to embrace your neighbor who is my neighbor not hard to tell I'm so encouraged to hear about this church as a mission project building a home 
for people who made it this far and can't go further. I compliment this house building. And I know that a home building means putting Jesus in the center of it. Haitians are coming. Arabs are coming. People are coming from every Central American nation. As a person who cut his teeth in missions in Guatemala and who has a, an, an, a, a prayer connection, let's say, in all 26 Spanish-speaking countries, who has teams of people who are going from one Spanish-speaking country to another Spanish-speaking country to multiply the prayer ministry and everything that comes with it. I just want to encourage you. You are in one of God's strategic placement positions. You have an opportunity that many, many people will not have. And in the post-COVID era, be ready. Be ready. Because God is going to use you in ways you never believed possible. I had so much fun when I was here. We did the prayer walk seminar, which meant we went out and walked and prayed. Centers of government, commerce, communication, education, centers of spiritual activity, different teams went out, came back, gave their report of who they met, who they prayed with, what they did. God, it was exciting. I said, oh, the family that prays together stays together. This is exciting. And then at that time to be invited to come for this day, by well, these days, eat cake. I never saw so much cake in one place in all my life, I tell you. But what a joy it was to see people who had saved up their money, who had prioritized what they were going to do with their offering, and then to see their fund in competing with each other. We'll give 500, we'll give 700, we'll give 900, we'll give up to $1,200 for the cake. I tasted the cake. My grandfather was a, was a baker who came from Germany to America on the boat, you know. Yeah, I'm not sure if the nutrient in that Spain cake would take you to Spain, but anyway, it certainly kept us up because there was a lot of sugar going on. I mean, I was, and it was awesome. It was awesome. A church, a community of believers working together to common purpose strikes terror in the heart of the enemy. We are one. We are one in purpose. We are one in calling. And so I share that with you as, as members or potential members of this church. This is a great place. Cherish it. Support it. Strengthen it. Speak well of it. Encourage one another. I get to see a lot of groups of people. As I travel, I see a lot of different places. Treasure what you have and grow it in the next generations, will you? So that my son, who is now the president of our ministry since I have been retired, and my grandson, who is now leading worship in the youth group, can continue to relate to Coronado Baptist Church in El Paso, Texas. I have found family here, and I thank you so very, very much. 
And now that we have the microphone set right and we've got our audio already and you're used to the sound of my voice, we'll drive one into this message. Is that okay? We'll just say go on. Thank you very much with your permission then I will go on. Uh, we have an audio recording, not a video, thank God, but an audio recording of last, last uh, service's message. And that's good, because I'm going to change the story in this one. Come on, we raised the guy from the dead twice in one weekend. Well, surely we could move on to another story, can't we? Huh? Can't we? So we're making an audio recording of this one as well. And they'll be available, I guess, online or however you do that. I want copies of both of them. I'll download it myself, though. Don't worry about it. This is a five-point message. And it's supposed to take just 20 minutes to deliver. And I can fit in that framework, but I'd have to leave out some really interesting things. So you can follow right along with me the five points. Point number one, are you ready? Point number one, you might want to write it down. Point number one, God has a purpose. Everything God does is to augment that purpose, is to serve that purpose. If you say, man, I just can't figure out what is the purpose of God. Well, prioritize. Pray and prioritize your life for God's purpose. It is the purpose of God. You ready? Write it down or get the tape. It is the purpose of God that every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth have the opportunity to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior in this generation. I'll say it to you again quickly. It is the purpose of God that every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth have the opportunity to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior in this generation. Someone came up to me one time after I had said that, and they said, Pastor Mark, do you believe there's going to be another generation? Like, is this the end times? And I said, not for you. We get one shot. We have one life to live. Let us live it for the Lord. We have one opportunity to make a difference. We have one opportunity to prioritize for the purpose of God. What is the purpose of God? That every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth would have the opportunity to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior in this generation. When I learned that many, many, many years ago, decades ago, it was easy for me to make decisions on purchasing homes or not purchasing homes, starting businesses or not starting businesses, buying certain models of cars or buying other models of cars, sending my kids to this school to that school, saying yes to go to this place or that place. I just asked the question, if I say yes to an opportunity, yes to an agreement, yes to a purchase, yes to an investment, will it give more people the opportunity to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior in my generation? If the answer is an obvious and open yes, not contrived, not twisted, just an open, obvious yes, then I can appropriate the promises of God to see that endeavor be successful because I have prioritized to his purpose. Do we follow? In the back of my Thompson Chain Bible, my old study Bible from the 60s, in the back of it is a little saying, be patient, little luxury, you'll soon be a necessity. 
I, like anybody else, can justify any expense to do something that I really desperately want to do. But the question is, will it give more people the opportunity to know Jesus Christ in my lifetime? So that was point number one that I get you. Number one, God's purpose. Number two is God has a plan to accomplish his purpose. A plan. God has chosen to use the church to accomplish his purpose. Now, he and I have discussed this quite a while. Because I have heard so many reasons why someone can't participate in the plan. Not enough education. No money. <laughs> My wife and I went through, and I laugh, I laugh now, it's probably isn't humorous to some of you, but it is to us. We've gone through marriage. Can't go now, just got married, can't go now. Birth of a child, can't go now. Can't take a child overseas. My God, how could you take it? I've had my father-in-law say to me, you take that child overseas, I'll kill you. Well, my father-in-law's in heaven. The child's been around the world and it seems that it all worked out all right. So, and then we went through education. Well, if we take the children, how are we going to educate our children? I mean, if we serve God and participate in the plan, don't we have a responsibility to take care of our children? I mean, come on, man. You can't just sell everything and go overseas and take care of your children. You can't. You can't. How about my parents are elderly and I need to take care of them? Well, you know what's going to happen? They're going to pass away. And then you know what will be next? Your grandchildren. We can't leave now. We have the grandchildren. I mean, how could we go now? We have this responsibility with these grandchildren. There's always something that sounds like a legitimate reason not to participate in the plan of God. They're always there. It's always there. I mean, for me, I'm only 73. Maybe when I hit 93, there'll be 24 hours where there's not a good excuse to not participate in the plan of God. I haven't come up with it yet. In the year 2000, I was going to write a book called 2,000 Reasons Why People Don't Participate in the Plan of God. I'm talking about the church. I'm not talking about the outsiders. I'm talking about the church. Why the church doesn't do missions? Why? I started with my legal pad and writing down the most plausible reasons I had heard as to why the church doesn't participate. I'm not talking about 25% of your giving. That's laudable. That's commendable. That's exceptional. That's wonderful. That's a quarter on a dollar. If you're tithing... It's 25% and 10%. If you're a tither, which I pray you all are tithers to this church, if you're tithers, you've got 90% left in your pocket. That's not prioritization. 10% is no longer an acceptable tip at Pizza Hut. Do not go any further down the road on finance and missions. <laughs> the sound you hear is me putting the brakes on my brain. 
<laughs> Some to Jesus I surrender. Some to him I freely give. I will ever keep the rest. Oh, I surrender some. <laughs> I surrender some. Some to Jesus. I surrender. I surrender some. Lay my life upon an altar as a living sacrifice. Are you kidding me? Life, my life is mine. And I'm living it the way I want to live it. And I punched the ticket Sunday morning. And I even put a bit in the plate. So get off my back, will you? I'm not on your back. Paul said, this is your reasonable sacrifice. Present yourselves. A living sacrifice. Yourself, yourself, yourself. Yourself. So few people prioritize for what God wants, but they're so busy to say, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Now you gotta be from the 60s to remember that song. But if you can remember that song, you weren't really in the 60s. Those of us who came up through the 60s, there are blocks of time we don't recall. Call it a healing of memories, if you will. <sighs> Number one, God has a purpose. Will we prioritize for his purpose? Number two, God has a plan. He's going to use you. I said, why don't you send angels? He said, angels don't make disciples. First law of the Bible, everything replicates after its own kind. It reproduces after its own kind. So to reach people, i got to send people. I have to have people who minister to people. I'll gather the people. If there's a person who will go, if there's a person who will do a refuge center, if there's a person who will do meals, if there's a person who will provide potable water, if there's a young man who will take the distasteful position of apologetics and creation rather than uh, whatever else they have. If there's a, woman, a, a, a man or a woman who will stand in the way of a young person without an answer to a pregnancy and say, here, hon, come here. Here, we'll take you, we'll take the baby, we'll take the, come on. That person, God will provide everything for if they'll participate in the plan. So who will prioritize for the purpose and who will participate in the plan? I looked through all these reasons and I said, well, you know, these are lousy. But there was two of them that really made sense to me that I thought were honest reasons. And the first one was, I don't want to be alone. You know how when you do teenage ministry, the kids never want to stand out on their, if a group can go here, okay, we're okay. They feel comfortable in a group. We're a very social being. We're made that way to have fellowship with the Father. And said, so don't want to be alone. But those who stand for Christ, the promise was said today by our brother from Kazakhstan, that, that those who would live godly will suffer persecution. You will stand alone. And as he shared that previously, I thought, man, 
Who do I know who is the best example I know of a person who stood for Christ? It's a toss-up. I know a lot of them. But the one that came to mind was a dear sister, Mabel. Mabel was a medical doctor. She was trained at New York University School of Medicine. She did her internships in America as a foreign student from China, her native China. She came to America. She was trained as a, in, and then she went into psychology because her, during the Boxer Rebellion, her grandmother had been cut in ribbons for being a Christian, had just been slain on the street. Her father had seen it, and he had lost his mind. Her grandma would not deny Jesus Christ. And so those people took the, the, those long sword saber things and just sliced her, just cut her head off, cut, just sliced her. Her father saw it and just he lost his mind. And so Mabel grew up in a home with a, how she was a mentally ill, uh, just the, her dad was dysfunctional because of the trauma that he had seen of his mother being martyred. And so she set her heart to get a degree in medicine and then to go into psychiatry and to be able to come back to her native China to be able to minister to those people who were in such a state as her father. She completed her education. She went back to China. She lived in the western, western hills of Beijing and began her practice. She was teaching in a university there in medicine in the 60s, 1966, when the Cultural Revolution began. I met Mabel when we were smuggling Bibles. Our ministry, Southeast Asia Prayer Center, had its birthplace in China, smuggling Bibles into the house church. I can say it openly now because... Now I'm a VIP in China. That's a long story. But, but in those days, we were smuggling, 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 smuggling. And Mabel was about this high. She was only about this big around. Little old lady. But she was the contact in Beijing. She would communicate a need for how many hundred Bibles for these house churches, underground churches that were all over the place, meeting in caves, meeting secretly, meeting in different places. And then we would make our delivery to Mabel. Mabel also was the bank. Multiple layers, sweaters, coats and stuff. She'd just walk around like this. you walking through the streets of Beijing. <laughs> you could buy a Mercedes with what she had in a bag, her little pouch. Because she was a little lady. They didn't, they didn't mess with Mabel. They didn't, they said, you know, this little old lady, you know, she said, who wants that little old lady's not an intimidation to me. <laughs> and she'd just go around and she had all the cash, all the support for these churches, all this. She had it all on it. I met Mabel delivering Bibles and I said, this is somebody who my sons are going to meet. In my practice then, every two years, I would take my wife and my sons to the countries where I worked underground We'd do a tourism thing, and then I'd have these people who had gone through it lay hands on my kids and consecrate them. No fear. Serve the Lord. Your day will come. They've been blessed by so many people. <laughs> and so we met Mabel. Mabel lived in a little hovel. I mean, it was a real shack. Just there in Beijing near the, 
near the law building, actually, in Beijing. And we went over there to her place, and she shared her story with me. She said, Pastor Mark, I had asked her to share so my sons could hear it. She said, the, the, the students came to get her during the Cultural Revolution. They took her out of the classroom. They put the dunce cap on her head. They put the sign around her neck. She's a Christian. And they began beating her. My son Matthew is now the president of our organization. It was a little boy, about six years old at the time, and he said, Auntie Mabel, I, I thought, what are you doing, boy? He said, can I see the scars? And she lifted her blouse in the back, and there were the forever markings on her from the beating. And she continued with the story. She said, they beat me. They told me to renounce Jesus. They told me all you have to do is say that you made a mistake. That when you were in America getting your education, they persuaded you you were brainwashed. And she would not. She would not deny Jesus Christ. She had so much power in her being. But, but she was close to faltering. She said, Lord, you just somebody, you have to get somebody to pray because I, I can't last much longer. I, knowing herself and, and her body was being broken. And she said, I just... I can't take this much more. I'm going to, I'm going, I'm going to deny you. you. You have to do something. And she told me that this presence, this presence came over her. Just totally. And, and when the presence came over her, she no longer felt the blows. They were still hitting her. But she didn't feel it. She said on that day, they drove fear out of my life. From that day on, I have no fear. This little lady, down on her hands and knees in the dirt, and this presence came over her. She was not alone in her time of trial and testing. She was not alone. God has a purpose. God has a plan. And God will be present as we practice his plan. We continued our work in China and, and uh, my career, if you will, in missions caused me to become an executive with 62 agencies, including Southern Baptist Foreign Missions, 62 agencies, 3,000 missionaries in the field reporting to my desk concerning operative strategies to reach the remaining unreached people groups in the world. I was an executive in missions. At that time, I was in Hampton, Virginia. The, the ministry in which I was involved went belly up financially. I had to put food on the table, so I accepted a position at the uh, uh, Bethel Temple Assembly of God Church in Hampton, Virginia, a church of about 3,000 people. I was the executive pastor, which is not a position you want to have when your board has put you $43,000 a month upside down in mortgage payments. You get to be the guy that brings the pink slips to all the paid staff and converts the church back to volunteerism as opposed to paid professionals because there is no money. 
course, I didn't know that when I, in desperation, said yes to the job. It was a bait and switch. They offered me missions and gave me this, which was a sort of a mission to put the church upright in, in financially. But oh man, what a long haul it was. So anyway, as a new pastor in town, Women's Aglow Fellowship, I don't know if we have Women's Aglow here in, in, in El Paso, but ladies, uh, they always grab the new pastor in town to be the chaplain of Women's Aglow. Evidently, some of the older pastors are a little tired of being the chaplain of Women's Aglow. And so, okay, hey, the lunches are great. The ladies were great. And so I went to the opening member, uh, the opening meeting where I was the, pre the chaplain for the Women's Aglow. They had to have a man's covering or something like that. So I said, okay to it. So I went to this meeting, and I'm watching these people and man, the message was fantastic. This lady preached, you know, you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. They had all these tables of ladies having lunch. It was very, very nice. Food was great. And, and, and they gave the invitation. And the ladies started coming forward. And, the, and the, men, the women on the ministry team were meeting the ladies. And <laughs> over at the end of the table, and listen, I don't mean this to be demeaning to anyone who has black skin, but she was a very, very black, what in the, in the African-American community, you would say blue black. She was a blue black. Libby Watson was sitting at the end of the table. And Libby started crying and crying and crying. I had shared the testimony of Mabel, and I had asked those women, who will be the woman upon whom God can call to pray for the persecuted. Who will be the person who will set aside their requests, participate in the plan of God, and be the person who will pray and make the difference for that person who's being persecuted? Who will be that? And these ladies were responding, will be that person. And I had shared about Mabel and how she felt that presence come upon her and she was delivered from fear and she didn't feel the pain. And Libby Watson is sitting at the end of the table and I mean, she's crying, she's crying. And Libby was a bit round and, and when she cried, everything shook. Her face shook, her body shook and she's doing all glory and she's crying and crying and crying and crying. And I said to the lady who was the president in charge of it, don't you think we should pray for her? She's having some sort of a, an experience. Don't you think, no, 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 no. That's just Sister Libby. She just gets like that. Just like, don't worry about that. She just kept going, Pastor. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a man of compassion. I said, what is this woman going through? She's shaking and shaking and shaking. Finally, the ministry was over and I was able to approach her without being a distraction. And I, I whenever I sat down next to her, I said, Ms. Watson, what, what, what's going on? What's going on? She said, my baby Clarice was a new baby. She still had to be fed in the middle of the night. And one night... I went to nurse my baby, and I went, I got her up, sat in my rocker, I was nursing my baby, 
I was praying to the Lord, which I always do when I'm nursing my baby, holding my baby. <laughs> Clarice was comfortable, fed, burped her, took her back over, put her back down in, the, in, in where she slept. When God, the power of God, came upon me and I dropped down to my hands and knees and I started to tremble and I started to pray with all my being and I cried out to God. She said, I have never, ever, ever prayed like that. Never in my life have I prayed like that. And I cried out, I cried out, I cried out. She said, it was such an experience on my hands and knees, praying and praying and praying. I said, Lord, you have to show me who am I praying for? Who am I praying for? I never prayed like this. Who am I praying for? And the Lord showed me this little Chinese lady. I said, God, what is her name? And he said to me, her name is Mabel. I said, Libby, would you like to meet Mabel? Oh, I would. Pastor Mark, is it possible? I can't go to China. Look at me. I can't, I'm not in any shape. I can't make a journey. I can, I can, can you bring Mabel to me? I said, let me, let, me, let me work on it. Let me work on it. I contacted Gwen Shaw, the end time handmaidens. I said, Sister Gwen, here's the story. Can you help me? Can we bring Mabel over here to meet Libby? I will never forget the day at Bethel Temple. We seated 3,000. The place was packed. Balcony packed. People from the whole Tidewater area. The curtain opened. We had a big curtain on that stage. The curtain opened. Out came this little Chinese lady. The spotlight on her. She shared, they beat the fear out of me. The presence of God kept me in my time of trial. And then out came Libby Watson, the woman who prayed, the woman who put God first, the woman who was tuned in to the plan and the purpose of God, who in her life had prayer above everything else. And she shared and the two stood together. And then Clarice, the little baby, now a young woman who had been used of God to cry in the night, to wake up her mother, to pray for this sister far away. And they stood together and asked the question, who among us will prioritize for the purpose, participate in the plan, practice the presence, and pray with the power? Who will do it? And that throng, 3,000 people, mostly women, of course, just leapt to their feet and said, God, use me. Use me. 
Well, here we are. Coronado Baptist Church, El Paso, Texas. God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has the presence. God has the power. Here's my question. Will you be that person? Will you be the person declaring today, first, I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. I'm sick of trying to run my own life. It's not working out well. I need to prioritize my life for his purpose. Second, will you dedicate yourself today to participate in his plan? Not my plan, his plan. Will you spend each day practicing his presence, focused on God, focused on who he is, focused on what he wants to do as you work, as you drive, as you go to school, as you go through your normal life? Will you take the presence with you into the community? And the fourth one, will you pray in the power that crosses nations, that uncontrollable power of prayer in the presence and the purpose and the plan of God. Are you here today? Am I talking to you? Are we connected? If you want to be that person, I invite you right now to stand to your feet. Oh yeah, stand to your feet. You say, I want to be that person upon whom God can call any time, day or night to do whatever is necessary to do for the next step in his plan to accomplish his purpose. Today, at the altar of God, in his presence, I am rededicating myself to be used of the Lord, for this is our mission. Pray with me. Say, Father... Come on, let's repeat a prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I don't know why you would ever count me worthy to participate in your plan. But Lord, I give myself to you. All of me. I present myself a living sacrifice. I ask you to use me Use me to pray. Use me to give. Use me to go. Allow me to reach out and, and embrace somebody. Most certainly rejuvenate my prayer life. I give myself to you. In Jesus' name. I'll just sing a little song to you so you can think about what you just said. Lord, I give my life to you. At your feet, I lay my burden down. Lord, I place my weakness in the strength of your love. Father, work your will in me. Father, work your will in me.
Sing it with me. Lord, I give my life to you at your feet. At your feet I lay my burdens down. Lord, I place, Lord, I place my weakness in the strength of your love. Father, work your will. Father, work your will in me. Father, work your will in me. Now with full voice. Lord, I give my life to you at your feet. At your feet I lay my burden down. Lord, I place, Lord, I place my weakness in the strength of your love. Father, work your will. Father, work your will in me. Father, work your will in me all to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live I surrender all, come on, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Now in the grace and the mercy and the peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I commission you to turn around right now. Turn around. In your seat, turn around. Look at the exit signs. Turn around. Don't go halfway. You'll hurt your neck. Go all the way. Look at those exit signs. You see the exit sign near you? And in the stead of Jesus Christ, I say to you, go ye into all the earth and preach the gospel to every creature, making disciples of every nation. And I am with you to the end of the age. Coronado Baptist Church, the best is yet to be. Let us go forth in the presence and power of Jesus Christ. God bless you.